The trouble with being successful is um, you're in demand. When I first started, we were working with around 70 people a year. We're now working with around 500 a year. Hello and welcome to the Making Impact podcast with me, Heidi Fisher. It's too complicated to measure our impact. We don't have the resources. Nobody cares. We can't afford it. Yes, you can and yes, you must. And in the Make an Impact podcast, Heidi Fisher explores how organisations put impact at the heart of what they do and how you can too. Johnny Kinross is the Chief Executive of Grassmarket Community Project, running social enterprise catering, woodwork, textiles and tartan businesses and engagement activities to support vulnerable people. Its turnover has increased fourfold, from 300,000 to 1.2 million in the last five years. But how has the crisis affected how it delivers its services? And how is the organisation going to get through this? Hi, Johnny. I'm so glad you've been able to join me for this episode of my podcast. Could you tell me a little bit about your background and what you do in terms of your social enterprise? Uh, yes, certainly. So uh, my background is social work. Uh, and um, I came into the sort of social enterprise uh, field as a social entrepreneur um, um, about 12 years ago when I set up a social enterprise in North Edinburgh, a young person uh, orientated uh, social enterprise where we employed young people to deliver outdoor activities. And from there, I um, um, jumped shipped, as it were, to the Grass Market Community Project. I was delivering some activities for them. Uh, in my capacity as a um, director of my venture, uh, some team building activities, and I just totally fell in love with the organisation, but also uh, with the people that it supports and with the staff and volunteers that, that are based there and work there. Um, and I really, it really struck me that it could do a lot more. So at, at the risk of sounding slightly um, uh, arrogant, I knew that I could uh, achieve more from this uh, social enterprise grass market community project i mean it already had a bit of a reputation um uh, and successfully been running soup kitchens and support services but in social enterprise terms i knew it had great capacity so the main beneficiary group if you like uh, are vulnerable adults and that's a really wide spectrum of uh, groups of people so that's homeless people people who are rough sleeping uh, people with disabilities, people with learning difficulties, neurological disorders, uh, people with um, issues of substance misuse, drug, alcohol, people coming out of prison, um, people who are just very isolated, the yeah, people who are old, older, all sorts of people, people who are out of work. And um, we provide them a whole range of opportunities, uh, cultural, creative, uh, practical tasks, training, that kind of thing. But social enterprise was always key of the founder. I didn't found the organization. It was uh, Reverend Richard Fraser uh, and Greyfriars Kirk. So they founded it and it ran uh, um, about three years um, and then it moved into its current premises of the Grass Market Center just a year before I arrived. But social enterprise was always key. Um, I'm sure uh, we'll come back to that later, but um, for two reasons. One, it raised money for the charity um, activities of the organisation, which is very important. But more importantly, it gave people a chance to contribute to the to, to, to the organisation, but to contribute more widely to society. So, you know, I don't take, especially in the current situation we're in now, I don't take work for granted. and I don't think anyone does. So any, any opportunities to work or volunteer, or to contribute to the lives of other people is so important in our society and in our culture. 
and we deny so many people that opportunity. So the Grass Market Community Project uses a social enterprise model for the beneficiaries and the general public to benefit from creating uh, work and volunteer and training opportunities for people. I love that. I, I always say this every time everyone describes their social enterprises, I always say, I, I just love that. It sounds so beautiful. But every, everyone that runs a social enterprise is doing something totally amazing. Um, you, you talked there about how you're working with um, lots of really vulnerable groups in terms of the, the types of people that you work with. Um, do you want to just describe in a little bit more detail the, the actual types of activities and projects you run in terms of what they do in in the volunteering the training and employment opportunities that you create yeah so things uh, um, uh, broadly uh, fall into sort of four areas um, our oldest social enterprise which predates the actual existence of the charity Greyfriars ran it as a kind of outreach program is our woodwork social enterprise grass market furniture it's the one that most people have heard of it's the most aesthetically pleasing on social media and websites but it's also beautiful the furniture is beautiful and we've got some very uh it's had a very interesting journey um but uh, in business terms and social enterprise terms but essentially it trains people to build furniture out of uh, upcycled wood mostly church pews so like any successful business startup it was a combination of being in the right place at the right time with the right people and and in the right market so our market is high-end furniture and we make it for anyone that asks for us for us to do it so we've done it at edinburgh castle local authority banks uh philanthropists or, um, and successful business people and stuff like that and um it's really really high-end furniture because it's made out of recycled or upcycled wood much of which is um, pre- a premium product in itself because it came from the rainforests when it turned into church pews hundreds of years ago. So we've cashed in on that, that in, in commercial terms and we put a premium price on our furniture, but it's also beautifully, lovingly made by the same small group of trainees and apprentices. So it's about eight of them uh, working in there four days a week and then one day a week they have a drop-in where anyone can kind of put, take their hand to woodwork. And it's all commissions. So that's grass markets, furniture, and our oldest, probably most successful social enterprise. Um, now employs three staff and two paid apprentices, and um, like I say, about six volunteers slash trainees. And then um, uh, when we opened up the centre itself, the Grass Market Centre, just shortly before I arrived on the scene, um, we established Grass Market events uh, in the centre itself, and uh, inter- internal catering and the cafe. And uh, so there's a kind of catering arm, if you like, to our social enterprise portfolio, which has expanded massively uh, in the five years I've been there. And now includes um, a total of four sites. There's the Grass Market Centre itself, where we have a cafe, which, again, employs a mixture of trainees and apprentices and paid staff and volunteers. And then we have um, the 121 George Street, which is the head office of Church of Scotland. We provide their staff canteen and, all, and we service all their event spaces and committee rooms. Then we have the, the St James Centre. If you know Edinburgh, you'll know the big uh, cranes of the city centre, Europe's largest city centre development, where we put food in the bellies of all the contractors and builders and crane drivers on site. Uh, so there we're serving anything up to 400 people a day and twice a day, six days a week. And then we have the Meadow Bank, which is our most recent social enterprise. So our seventh social enterprise opened up um, literally, sadly, uh, a couple of weeks before the, the outbreak of the C virus pandemic. However, we'll be back on track once, this, uh, once we're through the crisis. 
I mean, that's another building site like the St. James, and we run the staff canteen there. Smaller numbers, uh, but again, employing a couple of people and a, and, a, and a trainee. And then on the side of that, we have our textile social enterprise, which has got a lovely history, much smaller, more of a kind of cottage industry, um, which makes scarves, um, and accessories, uh, small dogs, ornaments, um, and uh, they all feature our Greyfriars tartan or someone else's tartan. So we've made stuff for the Edinburgh International Film Festival. We've had stuff on Miss Scotland <laughs> and Miss World competition. Um, we've had stuff given out to the Chinese government via one of our favourite customers, uh, the First Minister and her team. So they take our uh, social enterprise uh made items all over the world and give them out to uh, other world leaders and people that they meet. So our scarves and our dogs and gifts and stuff go all over the world via her. And there's a small team of people working on that. It only employs one person at the moment. The rest are all volunteers or trainees. And so that's the kind of three areas of social enterprise. Textiles, woodwork and catering. Catering being the largest, both in employment terms and income generation terms. Uh, um, but we also on the another aspect of the uh, overall social enterprise and charity is our what we call like our engagement activities so that's people who aren't really ready to uh, commit because it is a commitment that people have to make to a social enterprise and um, they, you know they may be slightly more chaotic or slightly more vulnerable or, or, or unreliable that, that they would struggle to be at the same time every day to actually do the work that's required and um, so for them because of where they're at and their journey, we have a range of services starting with a soup kitchen service, which is giving basic advice, food, haircuts, and we have a pet service that we do in partnership with a local vet, vet school. And then um, uh, at the other extreme end of that is like uh, qualifications, SQA qualifications from the Peru's college. So we're delivering uh, qualifications in IT, in volunteering and communication skills, uh, literacy, numeracy, uh, woodwork, and in catering and food safety. So people can come along and so sometimes do and use us as a platform uh, to sort of launch themselves into the world of work so they can gain a qualification. They don't necessarily have to become uh, heavily involved in the social enterprise. Well, however, we would always encourage people to do that because you get loads more opportunities if you come in and do a half day or a day or a week's volunteering or, or training with us. So there's various schemes that are set up from the full-time uh, apprenticeship schemes where you get an actual wage uh, through to people that maybe volunteer an afternoon a week but they take it very seriously and they and it's a highlight of their week and although they're volunteering um, they feel like it's a job they treat it like a job and uh, certainly many of those individuals have learning difficulties they would struggle uh, to get into the labor market without our support so the most likely outcome for them is that they stay with us and, and volunteer or work for us because we are much more able to adapt to their particular support needs and get long-term employability options. Wow, it sounds like you've got it covered right from A to Z, literally. Every, everything we try, we do there. try. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I was going to ask you, what, what else are you going to do? What, what are your future plans? But it sounds like you, you pretty much got it all covered and it's now just world domination. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say that. Uh, no, um, uh, we, 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 our most immediate plan is to get through this, this current crisis. Um, and then um, we still have funding in place. It's stalled at the moment. We have funding in place, a mixture of loan funding and um, grant income 
to uh, build an extension because uh, the trouble with being successful is um, you're in demand. When I first started, we were working with around 70 people a year. We're now working with around 500 a year. So that gives you a sense of the scale. You know, we won an award at the Edinburgh Chamber of Commerce. The first time a charity has ever won this award for the highest growth in any one period. That was when we started two social enterprises in one it's two new social enterprises in one year. So we've now um, got a turnover of 1.2 million. And um, uh, that's, again, we had a turnover of just under 300,000 um, five years ago. So we've grown massively. And, uh, and, and, that, and, and that, uh, the, the main reason we've grown is because, well, for people that we employ at different levels of the organisation, principally each social enterprise has an, a social entrepreneur with, with that unique set of skills of being incredibly people focused, but also profit focused and business focused. And that's why they have bred success within their own departments. So as a result of having, employing those people, we have grown substantially in those areas. So we've needed to expand. So we're expanding physically, we're adding on 25% to the building. Um, we've got planning permission. Uh, we are moment negotiating a little bit of building control, plus also all contractors and everyone's on holiday, not holiday, uh, furloughed. So we're just waiting this, uh, to get through this crisis and we can get back on track. We were hoping to have it done before the festival. It's now likely to be the end of this year that we'll build uh, um, this uh, um, extension. It's going to come in probably about three quarters of a million pounds. Um, and it will give us loads more training capacity, but more importantly, it'll give us two new classrooms, a staff room. We've never had a staff room. My staff have always been like Harry Potter and lived in and worked in cupboards on the <laughs> stairs. So for the first time, they'll have decent accommodation, which is really important because one thing that has also happened in our development is we're increasingly working with people with more, more complex needs, working a lot more with people with mental illness, and we need to get into more professional expertise and develop services that are very you know specific to people with those support needs so, and those people need decent offices and decent meeting spaces one-to-one -one meeting spaces um it's not always conducive for them to meet in the cafes and stuff like that so so part of this expansion is to have rooms and facilities within the building that can meet the needs of people with ever in complex needs and i strongly suspect um, and this is the, the evidence um, talking to lots of different people that post uh, the C virus uh, pandemic will probably see an increase in demand need for our services as well. So we couldn't have, this couldn't be more timely, this expansion, this increase in capacity physically, but also increasing what my staff team can deal with couldn't, couldn't be more timely. Mm, that's um, one of the questions I was going to ask you in terms of the, the current um, virus. How is that affecting you in terms of delivery? Has everything just stopped or have, have you um, adapted to how you're delivering stuff? It's a real mixture. So lots have stopped. All the kind of catering side of things, anything involving people coming together, pretty much all of it has stopped. And uh, over 30 of my staff have been fur furloughed and then... Um, that's um, it's great that that support is there from the government to keep the, so I can retain those staff because they're really skilled. Like I say, it's that unique blend of skills that they've got. They're not just good caterers; they're actually really good with people. And I, you know, was really scared as uh, was my board that we would lose these people. Many of them were um, beneficiaries or service users themselves once, and have got support needs themselves and have been on a journey with us. You know, our success, as I said earlier, I can't emphasize this enough, our success has been about having those people 
in our team. And a lot of them have lived experience. They may now be good caterers, maybe now good event supervisors, but they were once uh, people who came to us with drug issues or mental health issues or however they arrived with us. So they have a lot of loyalty to the organization because they arrived when they were at their lowest and they had their most difficult, most challenging times. And we supported them there. And they've been on the journey with us and they're now some of our most incredible staff members. So I was really nervous about uh, leaving them, losing them uh, when the when the, 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 the pandemic got kicked off, as it were, in the UK. And there was talk of lockdowns and, and I was really, really worried we all were. It was been a very emotional time for us. Um, so we've adapted quickly. So those staff have been furloughed, thankfully, and the government hope, hopefully all comes through. We'll be able to retain those staff and start re-kick, restart those social enterprises almost immediately uh, whenever we can, you know, when it's safe to do so following government advice. We've retained one or two on the members programme. And so we've adapted. This is where the adaption bit that you mentioned there is, is, is where we've had to adapt. All of our member services now are online pretty much. We don't come into any contact with members. Um, we deliver food. So a big part of what we do, I mentioned that earlier on, what we provide is food. So we, as well as providing a soup kitchen service to homeless people across Edinburgh, we also feed our members and our volunteers and our trainees every day. And most, many of the people that, that volunteer or, or attend the projects. They're only hot meal, they're only nutritious hot meal each day. So we recognize that that was a priority. So we deliver that now. So we delivered uh, over 200, just over 200 meals last week. We're doing some of that in partnership now with other charities, which is great. So it's helping in the resources go, because now we've lost 65% of our income by virtue of closing all those facilities. Um, so, you know, it was a big, big chunk of income for our charitable work to be just shut down. And we, we're hoping to get some of that back through grants, but we might not. And so the point is, uh, we've, um, we're working in partnership with making a little go a lot, lot, lot further. And we're taking out these meals and delivering to people's houses. We can adhere to, you know, guidance on social distancing. We don't have to have any contact with people. We don't have to be in the same space. We just literally leave it on their doorstep and ring their doorbell or phone them and, uh, and that's it. So we're still doing that every week. Uh, a lot of that's now done by volunteers because I have no staff. Um, we've got one or two, like I said, that we've kept on. Then we're doing a membership uh, program of activities. So it's about eight at the moment and they're online. Now, they, that only works for some of our members. Some of them have very low um, levels of digital literacy or you know, very poor access to equipment. They can access online courses. Um, you know, so it's very small numbers. Uh, last week was about 30 people that were accessing these classes, the same 30, some of them same five that were accessing most of the classes and then a few others coming in for different things. So we're still doing creative writing. We're still um, uh, doing a choir. Believe it or not, where we people um, can sing along to one other person at a time because of the way the time delay works. But it's fun. And it's more, the people that, who are coming along giving us tremendous feedback, saying this is making such a difference to how isolated they feel. So it's really important. We'll keep doing that. That means we've had to adapt a lot of what we do. A lot of my team needed to learn the technology really quickly. We had to take out licenses for Zoom a lot of really quickly so we could make these things happen. We are still um, doing a meditation class. Uh, yesterday, I ran a mental health session, which was really well, appreci really well appreciated and using some of my social work uh, backgrounds and skills. And I think the thing about social enterprise, which I've always loved, uh, is we, we, we do adapt. 
some of the most adaptable people. And we're all, we're all, anyone that you've probably spoken to on this podcast will tell you, you have to be a jack of all trades. And you'd be willing to roll your sleeves up, you know, clean toilets or go shopping, or in my case yesterday, you know, run a, a group session when I haven't done group work for a long time. You just have to be able to learn quickly or draw on skills that you used to have or you haven't exercised for a while because that's the that's that's what social enterprises and social entrepreneurs in particular are very good at it's adapting and 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 just being willing to to to, to do what's needed so we're we're in a really good place to support the the, the communities and wider society's recovery as organizations because we have a track record of adapting and being in, innovative and this this last few weeks we've seen tremendous innovation Another great example of that is our virtual walks. So you know, the biggest concern that we have is how isolated people are right now. I mean, everybody has that, everybody, but we particularly have that because we, we, the people that we support are the most vulnerable and the most isolated. Most of them that come to the Grass Market Community Project don't have family at all, any family. So they will literally be in their house staring at four walls watching telly 24 hours 7. So we really need to get them out for their physical health, but also, um, most importantly, so they connect with people in some sort of way, but they obviously can't be physically connected. So what we came up with was virtual walk. So we have our volunteer that's matched with a member who phones them and they're in different parts of the city, could even be in different parts of Scotland, it doesn't matter. And they go for a walk and they just describe what they see and they just talk for 20 minutes, half an hour on their walk, you know, got a lot of time for a walk, a bit of fresh air and a bit of exercise. This has been really popular. And it's another way where we've had to adapt and innovate very quickly. But to the people that participate in that program, the members love it. The volunteers speak very positively about it as well. So both groups are benefiting really highly from this experience. And it's just a small commitment for those volunteers. They feel helpful, useful, when or many of them would ordinarily have been working so they're, and they've been furloughed. So they're quite happy to do it. And the members feel less lonely, less isolated, which is critical. Wow, that sounds brilliant. Um, in terms of um, advice to other social enterprises that are obviously still facing the similar issues, what would you you say um, to them in terms of how they might adapt? What What do you think are the, the key things they need to be thinking about? Well, there's a lot of great support out there and a lot of advice. Reach out to the Edinburgh Social Enterprise Network if you're based. In Scott, uh, to your local chamber of commerce, to a local authority and, and the government themselves, you know, reach out to these intermediaries and support agencies because they will tell you. My, my experience is people are bending over backwards to try and help you deliver what you feel you need to still deliver. And you, you've got to be innovative. So get your team together and think out of the box. We initially thought we couldn't do food. We thought there's no way we can do food because that would involve bringing people in, cross-contamination or, you know, Healthy people will be putting unhealthy people at risk, all that sort of stuff. So, but what we came up with was that we had teams of volunteers based on households. So, my wife and I do a Thursday, for example, and prepare some food. And another volunteer and their partner do a Wednesday. So, we, we, we keep it within households. So, we're not breaking any rules that in that sense. And we wear masks. And the delivery people who are from a different household don't come into the building. They don't come into contact with anyone in the building. It's just literally put on the doorstep. They drive up, they take away their, their delivery, their batch of food and, and a sheet of paper. So you put in things like that. I'm a great belief you, you, you can minimise, if not remove, all the risks and still provide services if you really do your best to think about it. Um, and try and make it obviously as cost efficient as possible, but then reach out to these small pots of funding that are available and help. We've done a bit of crowdfunding 
we did, we were very successful, raised a couple of thousand pounds on that, without helping. That's my advice, is get the right advice. There is a lot of support out there. Make the right decisions in the short and long term. By that, I mean, be prepared to furlough staff if that's what you need to do. Just just don't hesitate, get on with it, get, get the right consent and get the right uh, advice to do that properly and fairly, and then focus on what you can do with what you've got left. There are a lot of people that want to volunteer, so I've had loads of offers via social media and uh, website, um, people who want to volunteer, and I've created ways of that happening quite quickly as well. So like online applications and getting people involved in this um, virtual walking for example, quite straightforward. So we've got about half a dozen uh, regular volunteers and a few others in that are doing two or three walks a week. I don't know if that makes much sense, but that, to me, that's the two main things is get, get, Good, good advice from there's a whole wide range of support agencies. They will also alert you to all the different things available. And in terms of supporting your beneficiaries or such users, then then just get get innovative and adapt quickly. Um, and what, what we've done in terms of the sort of sustaining our organisation financially as well is we've just really boiled things down to what we can safely do and what we can afford to do. So we're not we're going to do our utmost to avoid you know, stripping out huge chunks of our reserve, our cash reserves. I mean, I know that for some organisations that's much more difficult. That's why I say get the right advice because my one of my biggest concerns is that post this virus pandemic, loads of third sector organisations are going to close. Loads of social enterprises are going to struggle to keep going because of cash flow. And I just think that the, the, the public sector and the government will be, you know, be a disaster disastrous outcome if that happened, which is why they are putting bit support in, but whether it's enough or not, I, I will still, we'll see. I, I do worry that there's going to be less of us in the sector providing, you know, less opportunities for people and yet more people as a result of what almost certainly going to be another recession. Yeah, definitely. I think um, everyone's recognising there's going to be more people needing support. Um, you're, you're a little bit luckier in um, Scotland. Um, there's slightly more support for social enterprises currently than there is in um, England. <laughs> but um, hopefully we'll catch up. <laughs> yeah, I hope so. I mean, the have been good. Um, you know, some, some, some funds were available almost instantaneously. And we within about three days of the lockdown, we were accessing small pots of money from the Scottish government and all credit to them. And, and like a lot of load, loads of organisations, but they recognise that they need to get certain monies and funding support out to certain what they call anchor organisations as quickly as possible. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, Johnny, I'm going to um, leave it there for the um, podcast interview today. It's been fantastic talking to you. Fantastic to hear about everything that you're doing and also what you've um, done in terms of adapting to the, the current um, crisis. And um, hopefully um, I will get up to Edinburgh to see your your new building sometime later in the year. Well, that'd be great. Yeah, thank you so much. And thank you very much for inviting me on. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Make an Impact podcast with me, Heidi Fisher. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why not leave a review or rating? And if you'd like to be on the show, then please get in touch via my website, makeanimpactcic.co.uk. Thank you for listening.